glad to see everyone here today. Uh, hopefully, uh, if you were here last week uh, and you're filling in the blanks regarding what uh, the billboard is going to say, and maybe you're thinking, what in the world are you talking about? Well, just to reset it a little bit, uh, the question that, that, that I asked was, what if somebody gave you an opportunity to put on a billboard for one month any message about the Lord that you, you would like to communicate to somebody who you otherwise wouldn't be able to have a conversation with? And this series is based on that question. And what we're doing is just each week filling in some words on that billboard. And because I'm sort of the pastor here and it's my privilege, um, I kind of came up with my own. However, by no means do I want to discount what anyone else has, has, has offered up because I think they are all equally uh, good. And uh, last year, or last week rather, we had some that were uh, solicited that somebody, uh, different people in their connect cards put down, this is what I think it should say. And this week we have a few more and I'm just going to put them up there. A um, uh, couple of people said, if I were to have that billboard opportunity, I would say, Jesus is life. Uh, another person, Jesus is mercy, and perhaps in brackets underneath, when I least deserve it, and how true that is. And the third one, Jesus is the answer, and I don't know what else you can do with that, because in every way he is. And then finally, Jesus is teacher. My suspicion is, depending on your personality or your temperament, that's going to determine a lot what it is that you're uh, going to say in that, message, in, in that message slot. Now, mine is going to be a little bit different than any that we've seen so far. So, uh, consolation prizes maybe for those who, who, who didn't win the prize. And for myself, I disqualify myself because I'm the one who came up with it. That said, next week we're going to fill it in a little bit farther. But for now, if you think about God and one primary characteristic of God, what would be that attribute or that defining idea? Would it be fair to say love? That God is love? That at the very core of his being, everything that he does is based on the fact that he is a loving God. And maybe you've heard that so many times that it's no longer even resonant with you. But I think if you believe that and you truly accept that, then God wants to take you a little bit further in that understanding into behaving into that quality yourself. Now, we have that word love right in the middle because for some reason, when we read the New Testament, we find that love shows up quite a bit. As a matter of fact, um, if uh, you have your Bibles with you, we're going to look at First uh, Peter or First John, rather, chapter four, uh, verses seven through twelve. But before I go there, I want to ask you guys a little bit about love. What do you think of when you think of love? What's been your experience? Has it involved perhaps another person? And maybe that person that you ended up spending the rest of your life with. Has it involved a lot of feelings? Maybe, like so many, it's a, it's a honeymoon experience. And then that sort of wears off into a deeper commitment. I've been married for 30 years. 
going on 30 years, uh, sometime in the fall, I can't remember our anniversary. No, you never say that. Just an FYI. Never, never say that. Or that word love will change dramatically in that equation. Been married about 30 years, and love has had a whole lot of different meanings along the way. I have two older kids that seem to be dabbling with this a little bit. And because I promise not to pick on any guitarists that are up here uh, that, uh, that, that weren't over here, then, um, you know, you connect your own dots. But I'll, I'll pick on somebody who's not here because it's easy to talk about your children behind their backs. And that way you can ask them, did you watch the video on YouTube? Oh, yeah, yeah, it was really good. Sure you did. Well, all right. So I have a son that's at OSU, and, and I went down last Tuesday to help him with a big project that he's working on for his graduation. And we took a break, and we sat out in the commons of his particular building that he's in. And as we are uh, enjoying uh, some hamburgers together, Christian and his roommate sitting in front of me, and I'm sitting right here, Christian over here, in walks this girl. And... Well, those two spot her right away. And they say, that's so-and-so. And she never comes in here. And she sees us, makes a beeline, and walks right up to where we are. Sits down right next to me, because she knows me. And we start chatting. Have you ever been in the middle of something that you're like, I really shouldn't be in this space? There was enough electricity that it was palpable. If, if somebody had a voltmeter and they just put it on me, they would say, uh, Leonard, you're measuring a lot more electricity than normal. And I could only respond by saying, yeah, I'm kind of in this field here. There's something going on. And I felt like just kind of removing myself from it. Isn't that weird how there's something in the air? Now, I don't know where that's going, and it's none of my business because, you know, love just has its own way. And maybe it will, and maybe it won't, but when it happens, you're like, yeah, something's going on. Ain't that right, people? <laughs> yeah, you knew it was coming, didn't you? It's all right. I'll leave you alone. We've got to get through Easter together, liking each other. So, loving each other in the most godly way possible so there's no misunderstanding, okay? Because that word goes in many directions. When God takes that word and he inserts it into your life and mine, it has a whole lot of different meanings in the form of expression. But at its deepest part, it is that attachment that happens between ourselves and God. It is God's way of saying and just helping us through the course of our lives, to realize that when he calls us into a relationship, we each have to wrap our minds around the fact that it's real. It's a thing. That he's there. That he loves us. That he's never going to abandon us. He's never going to leave us or forsake us. And some of us have had been loved and it's not worked and we've had to go on. As I, as I was doing some research for this, I was looking at breakups. When, when, uh, you know, when men and women break up, what effect does it have? And this is what the takeaway was by psychologists. When, when women break up with men, and we're not encouraging that at all in, in this room, it said that the women, they find a way to kind of quickly forget and move on. But they said the guy... 
never seems to get over it. There's always something that, that needs some healing. Don't know how true that is other than the force of love and the nature of that force creates such a bond with people that by design, God said that's a good thing. And any love that develops a bond should be experienced within a covenant so that it's more secure. But love is one of those things that is so overpowering at times we forget the covenant and we forget the connection. We forget the, the, the larger picture that we just fall into it. And when Jesus came into the world and he put himself on display for you and I, he wanted to embody the very deepest feature of God. And you know what that was? That was love. And the same John that wrote the book of 1 John that we're getting ready to take a peek at is the same John that wrote the Gospel of John that tells you and I in so many ways and in so many places that when Jesus came, he embodied love. Now where do we want to go with this? And I'll have to tell you that there are people who do not go to church, who do not want to go to church, because the people in the church haven't necessarily followed that, followed that command to love one another. Maybe they went and there was grumbling or there was complaining or there was negativity or there was exclusion or there was arrogance or there was uh, something mean that happened or something that just drove them away. And I can't help but wonder how heartbroken that is, uh, how heartbreaking that is rather for the heart of God. And as a pastor, it's one of your worst fears is that maybe you inadvertently done, have done something to drive somebody away. Because our deepest responsibility here is to not only proclaim God's love, but to embody it. If I'm up here telling you about love, and I'm, I'm being mean to people, smacking them around verbally, taking you know, uh, this person and telling them about that person, it's just not going to go far. And God is really concerned about his people embodying those characteristics. And Jesus came to show us how we could get it done. Well, there's a, a brief video that I want to show you about uh, three people that don't go to church and this is, this is their story. They're interviewed by a pastor. And these are the things that are turning away in their minds. Let's go ahead and show that if we can. I don't personally believe, right? Mm -hmm. But it's like, that doesn't mean that we can't live mm -hmm. the same way. Hey there, I'm Erica Campbell. I'm a singer, a songwriter. I'm a mom, a wife, and all-around cool chick. So today I'm sitting down with people from different ends of the faith spectrum. We're just going to have a healthy conversation. Can't wait to get into it. I'm really excited. My name is Josh, and I am a former Christian. Hi, I'm Emily, and I identify as an atheist. My name is Nina, and I identify as agnostic. I was raised in a very strict Mormon household. I was the very first one in my family to leave the church. I have been a happy non-believer. 
believer ever since. I guess technically I was raised in the Catholic faith, kind of by default. We went to church sometimes on Christmas, usually like weddings or funerals, something like that. I grew up lightly Hindu. Uh, we're like culturally Hindu, but I kind of came to the conclusion that like whether or not there is a God or there isn't a God, like it has no bearing on like how I live my life. I don't think she'll be able to in any way convert me suddenly back. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't nervous. Like, I hope I don't say anything to offend her. If you believed in God, what would that look like to you? I feel like if there was a God, I think it would be something like kind of unimaginable that I couldn't like process as a human being. Do you believe in life after? You know, I I don't. You know, before I was like, I don't know, maybe like raw energy, like mm -hmm. what happens to us when we're dead, like, and nobody knows. And that's the crazy thing, right? And, uh, but... Uh, very recently, actually, my twin brother passed away this summer. Mm -hmm. And so I've been, that. thank you, but I've been, you know, like searching for him and I've been like trying to be kind of like open, like if, you know, if it is like a thing, like please freaking talk to me, you know yeah. what I mean? And like I just, I haven't, I haven't felt it. Yeah. I haven't felt him. I haven't seen him. Yeah. And so that kind of for me was like, okay, like he's just, yeah. he's just dead. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, something that I'm just kind of like, okay, like I'm just, I'm just never gonna see him again. He's still, you know, with me every day and I think about him every single day. But it's like, I just, you know, I was, I was open for it. And I, I still am, like, yeah. if, if something were to happen or whatever. Yeah. But like, you know, me thinking about him every day and remembering him and everything that I do, it's like, I feel like that for me is like enough, mm -hmm. you know? Every time I look at any form of organized religion, the only thing I see is division. Mm -hmm. More wars have been fought over religion than mm -hmm. anything else. Yeah. Whereas when I look at a world with no religion, mm -hmm. you suddenly, everyone has to own up to just what they are and who they are. They can no longer hide behind and say, well, I, I won't bake a cake for these gay couple because my religion says that I don't have to. Mm -hmm. You can't hide behind that. Mm -hmm. There's always going to be conflict in religion because religion is man-made. You know, you see these movies and there's always a devil on one shoulder. Mm -hmm. and I really think that's real. I think there's always a battle for the best of us and the worst of us. If there was one question of God that you could ask if you believed in God, what would you ask? That's a really hard one. Is it? Uh, I, uh, Girl, ask everything. <laughs> there would probably be a lot of general just like whys. Mm -hmm. um, but he cares about you, and that's what I know for he? sure. Yes, <laughs> you. What makes you happy? What I'm, makes you sad? I feel so small. And no. like the concept of a god feels mm -hmm. so big, like I said. Yeah. And I feel so small, and it seems impossible to me that anything that oversees like our whole world or our whole universe mm -hmm. would have time for me. Absolutely. <laughs> I think um, that there's still a lot of questions there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Even from what you've said, still a lot of questions. And I think that's the best way to be, like mm -hmm. to always ask why, the whys of the whys. Why do I feel this way? Why don't I believe? Could I believe again? Right. You know, what could cause me to believe again? Because mm -hmm. clearly there's something that caused me not to believe. If I told you that I would pray for you, what would you ask me to pray for? Oh, that's a great question. Probably not for me, but for like my family, I think. Yeah. Yeah, just for them to be like well and good and happy. Yeah. From my perspective, everything you've said, you can do without any religion. And it's completely freeing for me. The most free I ever felt was the day I walked away and said, I don't have to believe in any of this stuff anymore. Because to me, God, religion, all of it, 
It's completely superfluous to human existence. You don't need it. You can live a happy, productive, good, charitable life without it. I believe in, you know, if there's a good, there has to be a bad. You know, we can't always explain some of the complexities and craziness of this world, but I think God brings gravity to it all, to the question. I, I love hearing what you have to say. Um, I don't think I necessarily agree with all of it. Um, so I believe that God knows you. He knows your name. He knows how many hairs are on your head. And your beautiful hair, by the way. Thank you. I had to purchase mine. <laughs> Nevertheless, I think he knows everything about you and wants to get more wants to know more. This has been such a great conversation and you're such a warm, like, I feel really like comfortable <laughs> here. Um, yeah, just, this has been really great. Awesome. It's been amazing talking to you. Great talking to you, Emily. I will well. be praying for you. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. <laughs> ask a question. You think when God watches that video alongside you and I and he sees those, those three individuals disconnected from everything that he wants us to be a part of, do you think his heart breaks just a little bit that they're not included? I gotta believe so. And you know the one fellow said I can do all of it without organized religion. And maybe he can in his own mind and maybe his experience has been good. Honestly, though, for me, if I didn't have a form of organized faith to connect with in, 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 in the name of a church, I don't know where I would be. There were people that welcomed me in, that accepted me, that loved me. And I'm not saying everybody was perfect in that equation, but there was enough there that said, yeah, I want to keep coming back. And for me as a pastor, this side of 35 years ago, I, I want to be a part of a church where when people come here, they'll say, yeah, those people are truly the real deal. And the best way that we accomplish that is just to keep teaching the word and preaching the word. But not only that, trying to live it in a way that makes it compelling. As I think about those three, one of the reasons why I believe that God cares is because they were made in his image and likeness. And there is not a person on the planet that he doesn't want to be with them forever. But like any relationship, they work best in a covenantal agreement, which defines sort of the characteristics of that relationship. And I hope you're tracking with me. Because what a covenant does is it defines the boundaries of what you are or aren't together. And the Bible starts off by giving a covenant to Adam and Eve and said, it's all yours. But the agreement is this. You just got to follow my voice. And if you don't and you do this one thing I tell you not to do, it's all going to fall apart. And trust me, it did. And then as God made Adam and Eve in his own image, he worked very hard to reclaim all the things that got lost in that moment. And he's looking at your life and he's saying, I want to reclaim everything that is missing, everything that's lost, everything that is broken. But I need a, I, I need a vessel of people to do it. This book right here is made possible because of something called the church. And the church has a bullseye on its back. 
Because when Jesus said, I will build my church on this rock and the gates of hell will, hell will not prevail against it. I'm, I'm not from another region. The, the, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He said it right in a place where the gates of hell literally were that contained the spirits that were working against God's purposes. And so there is opposition. And the only way we can stay true to who we are is to say committed to him, to remain on the path that is following him, and to posture ourselves in a loving way towards others. Now, last Thursday, I, I, I participated in something that was pretty cool. The last uh, probably five years, I've seen an organization develop that helps uh, women who are pregnant but not really sure what to do about it. Most of the women are not aware of all the possibilities whenever they find out that the pregnancy test says yes. A lot of them are only thinking about what I need to do to uh, get rid of this situation. And it's a situation that hits home to many of us in different ways. So Pastor Early, I, I understand the sensitivity of the topic. But the one thing that came out of this gathering which was done through an organization called Sophia House, which is just on the south part of town, was it was an expression of how God could love people in those circumstances. And I'll just set it up a little bit. In the scripture, you find that we are made in God's image and likeness, and you find that we are called to love people. And in that set of circumstances where a young woman or even a middle-aged woman finds herself pregnant, is afraid, and is trying to figure out what to do. They'll get online, they'll type in, um, uh, in into Google, um, an answer so they can try to find out what they need to do. And Google AdWords being what they are, this place shows up south of town. And women go there and they discover something. That even though every voice around them is saying, you're not ready, the time isn't good, this is going to derail everything in your life, it's going to wreck your, your direction, it's, it's, just not, it's just not what you need to do. And they said that when a woman comes into their place, not really knowing what help they're going to get, they're immediately greeted by, by love. An environment that is made that is designed to make you feel safe to make you feel secure to make you feel wanted to make you feel that sense that beyond these doors there there isn't shame there's just an embrace and they go in there and they on that on that premise they begin to ask the question how can you help me with what i have going on here and they'll say well the first thing that we need to do is just we need to do an ultrasound. We need to see a heartbeat. And many of these women are going in there to try to get rid of that heartbeat because of all the things that they've been told about doing that. And some of us have been on the receiving end of that, and we know the pain. And these women who are there are, in their own right, have been involved in those scenarios as well. But getting back to the point, when they see the heartbeat on the monitor... Ten times out of ten, they say, yes, I want to keep that child. But here's the rub. Many of them, all of them actually would say, I would be willing to keep the child. The problem is, I don't feel secure. I don't feel safe. I don't feel like I can provide. I don't feel like that all those things that I need to make this work are there. 
yet I really do, in my heart of hearts, want to keep this child. Well, what Sophia House does is they take the love of God and they begin to embody all of that in such a way that that woman leaves there feeling safe, secure, and resourced in whatever way she needs to help that baby to thrive. I'm actually getting a little bit of ahead of myself because the reason why that place is there has a lot to do with the scripture that we're going to be taking a look at now. If you look in your Bibles in 1 John chapter 4, 7 through, <clears throat> excuse me, 7 through 12, we read these words. And I know it's kind of obvious, but as I read them, tell me what keyword you see. And I'm sure that that's just not even a reasonable question. But here we go. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, which is a big word we'll unpack a little bit later, for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God if we love one another. God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now what's my key word? Okay. In the first 15 verses, I just read the seven uh, on up uh, a little bit. But there's actually embedded in those verses, those first 15 verses, the word love. Guess how many times? 27 times. So if John had a key word, I think it would be love. But the thing that I want us to explore is, even though he's peppering those verses with that, with, with that, with that wonderful word, he's putting a lot of things around it, telling you and I, Love in relation to this, love in relation to that. And as we read these verses, one of the first things that he says is that Jesus came to bring life. Jesus, he loves us and he loves to give the life of God to us. Now when we're talking about unwanted pregnancies and everything that is bundled up in that, in that, in that, in that heartache, we have to remember that the issue is life and death. But it runs a little bit deeper than that. Because when God looks at you and I, the fact of the matter is, the scripture defines our existence apart from God, disconnected from God, as being dead in our sins. Meaning that we have nothing to tether to that enables us to live forever. We die and then we're separated from him forever. Because God is the source of everything that we need, including eternal life. And when Jesus came on the scene, the scripture says, uh, he came to bring life and life more abundant. And you may be saying, I've been a Christian for a long time, Leonard, and I don't really know what that means. Well, I can tell you this from my experience, that before I was transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of life, 
I was a, I was angry, jealous, had fits of rage. I had lust. I had covetousness. I had pretty much everything that made my soul dark. And I knew it. And I knew that it was just a form of its own kind of death. And I knew I needed some help. And I had no idea where to go. Except the signpost that my sister was pointing towards my grandmother's church. And I went there and I left all of that darkness in my soul. In the baptistry, so to speak. And I came out of that experience starting to realize that a change had happened. And all of a sudden, in my being, there wasn't turmoil, there wasn't conflict, there wasn't the fear, there wasn't all of those impulses that I could manage to varying degrees. There was this increasing sense of love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and faithfulness and self-control. Not saying that it happened instantly overnight, but the more I was around loving people, the easier it was for me to adapt into that way of living and thinking. And the church is supposed to be an environment that helps you to transfer from one way of being to another. And I always point at my friend down here, Susie, who would tell you, you could come up here and you, and you would be my amen corner. Because God just does that, doesn't he? If we had been a hateful, judgmental... No, if we had been that when you came in, would you be where you are? Probably not. Unless, you found it, unless God directed you to another place that was doing what they should be doing. Jesus loves to bring his life to bear upon the lives of the people that he calls into his family. And that's the other part of what John says in those verses that we read. There was a word propitiation. It's a fancy word that has a lot of meaning, but part of it is just appeasing the fact that we are sinful creatures and God's a holy God and we're just incompatible. There is no way that we could coexist together forever being the way we were with all that badness bundled up into our being and God being so good and loving and perfect and kind. He's like, I want to I bridge that gap. And the love of God that John talks about so much is bridged by a bloodstained cross with arms stretched out, connected to us and connected to the Father and brings us into salvation. Jesus loves to save. He loves to go after that drowning person. He loves to go into that place where no one else will go and pull us out. He loves to rescue us. Why? Well, I think we answered that question a minute ago, didn't we? It's just his nature. He can't help himself. It's who he is. But it's not always who we are. And so he brings life. He brings salvation. 
And I think about the women who work at Sophia House, and some of them I know, and I know their stories, and I know where they've been, and I know where they are now, and I know that when people come into the Sophia House, there are two kinds of people. One of them is the person who has, has never had anything to do with the Lord. And all of a sudden, they are surprised by God's love and generosity where not only will these women help them with whatever their physical needs are as far as just things like diapers and, and, and milk and, and on and on. And if it's a case where there, have, there has to be an adoption process, they'll, they'll help with that. Whatever it takes, they offer that. But in their story, they'll tell us that some of the people that we get are people from church who, for whatever reason, didn't feel safe in church. Now, I believe that covenantal marriage is, is really the best because if you don't have a covenant, it makes the other person, the female especially, vulnerable because there is no, there is no ratified commitment that says, I will take care of you. He says, we're going to live together. Somebody gets pregnant, I'm gone. Covenantal love that we uphold is a way of saying there's a better way. And so I kind of approach it that way. And whatever it is that we've done in the past, the bloodstained cross that I talked about cleanses us of all unrighteousness and shame. And it's not how you start out, it's how you end up with Jesus. You got that? It's not how you start out, it's how you end up with Jesus. And he's done everything within his fullest capacity to help you realize that. And so when that young lady comes in to Sophia House and he's a Christian, her mom's a Christian, she doesn't want to tell her mom because this is going on. She doesn't know these people are Christians in this place. And as soon as she finds out, she's like, oh no, here it comes. And you know what she gets? Hugs and love and affirmation and support. And the one gal, she said, I went back to my church and I started telling people and I was expecting the worst. And they just came alongside and said, it's okay. It's not how you start out, it's how you end up. And we want to help you to get in a good place with this. And I would say that a church that does that is doing what a church should be doing. They're following what we're reading in the scripture. 27 times love. Now I'm not saying that you shouldn't be in a covenant relationship. You should work towards that. Because that is by design the means by which we thrive. That's another sermon. But every Sunday we celebrate a covenant of love. With the wine that's not fermented. And the, and the cup and, and the bread. But here's the last thing, and I'm, I'm going to land the plane here for you. Jesus loved to love other people through us. Jesus loves to love other people through us. Now, in, in, in 1 John 3, it says this. Um, let's go ahead and put that 318 verse up if we can. It says, little children, and that's you and I, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Now who do you know in the Bible that did that? Told us the word. Practiced the word. Jesus. 
Have you ever heard of outsourcing? Do you know what that means? And some of it's a bad word. But for God, it's actually a good word. He built this planet and he said, I'm going to outsource responsibility for earth to two people, Adam and Eve. You're in charge. Take care of it. Make it work. And they're like, we're on it. And God's like, this only works if we keep our covenant. And they said, sure, sure, whatever. And then the next thing you know it, they just kind of crossed the line and they didn't do what God told them. And then, well, <coughs> chaos just busted out and the whole thing unraveled. Tempter came, thing imploded. And God said, I love these people so much, even though they betrayed the covenant, I still want them. And so he says, Noah, I'm going to outsource salvation to you. Here's what we got to do. The, the, the whole earth is just bad, bad, bad. And we got to reset this. So build an ark. I'm outsourcing this to you. And when the time comes, I'll lead you through it. He did. Things continued. Abraham, I, I want you to know that I'm going to save the world. And I'm going to do it through you. I'm outsourcing this to you. The only thing that you need to do is be faithful to the path that I call you on. And Abraham's like, I'm on it. And he wasn't perfect, but he did it. And then throughout the Bible, God's constantly outsourcing responsibilities and salvation processes to his people. Why? Because he loves to involve all of us. If you have kids, and let's say your kid likes to do something particular, and, uh, and, and you're watching them, you're like, man, I want to just join in them, join them with that. So anytime I can do something with, with Stephen or Mayim or Christian... And we can just do it together or I can help them. I just love that moment. And so when I say God outsources stuff, he involves other people. So he wants this place to be saved once and for all. He provides a lot of promises through the lives of the people that he's outsourced, including Abraham and Moses and King David and a few others, to the point where one man who the responsibility is outsourced to, to convey the deepest love of God to humanity. And that man is Jesus. He says, I, I can't do anything except that the Father does it through me. He's called me to this role. Jesus does what he's supposed to do, and he does it faithfully. And for 2,000 years, eyes have been turning towards him because Jesus is love. And for 2,000 years through the church, some eyes have been turning towards him. And other eyes are saying, nah, the church and Jesus, Jesus I get, the church I don't. And the last thing that I want to do is be the pastor that God says, yeah, you're part of that church that doesn't. Does that make sense? I know it's heavy, but I don't want to be that church. I want to be the church that indeed in truth behaves into the love of Jesus. Because you know what? Jesus said to his disciples after he rose from the dead, I'm going away. And they're like, no, we can't do this without you. I'm leaving. 40 days. I'm out of here. And they're like, we can't do this. We can't do this. Ah, uh, but you can. Because I'm going to I'm going to give you my spirit. 
And he's going to help you. When you run into a situation, you ask him to help, he will help. And he does. So God outsources the whole thing to us. We're the vessel for the gospel, the good news. We have to be here because there are people out there who are saying, hey, I'd like to have some of that. And we got to be saying, what you read here is what you see here. Now, none of us are, are perfect. We are all a work in progress. We're all like when I drive uh, my, my wife's car down the road and I, I almost plow into somebody in the side uh, road because, well, there's a blind spot. I didn't see it. God said, we'll work on that. And for some of us, the big blind spot was simply this. I didn't see any of it. But there's something inside of me that said, I was made for love. I was made to be connected. I was made to love other people. I was made to make babies. I was made for all of that stuff. And God says, whoa, hold on there, partner. There's a time and a place for all of that. And we're going to take the chaos that's churning in your heart and we're going to bring it into order. And that's what Jesus does. He helps to bring it into order. And maybe that chaos is churning in your life in some type of love, passion, that maybe isn't working so well. And he's like, I want to help that love to be everything that I made it to be. But the first thing you need to do is trust that the life I bring you and the salvation that I offer is more than able to put you in a place where you can receive all of that in such a way that your life begins to change. And then, after you begin to walk in that, I want you to be part of this wonderful thing that is called the redemption through the gospel. And a lot of us are somewhere on that journey. Maybe we haven't taken that first step, or maybe God's saying to you, it's time to pivot into love. Now, if you have a stranger come up to you and you start to feel a little bit confident with them, and maybe they're in an environment that, you know, everybody says, yeah, it's a good person. When they start to love on you in the best biblical way possible, it's sort of disarming, isn't it? It sort of gives you a sense of trust and security and acceptance. And isn't it interesting how when that happens, we start to change for the better. You can't do Christianity alone. It's a, it's a group effort. And God wants to do it through us. Now, Easter's coming, and I hope you're praying about people that may or may not want to come to church. Because God sees those people. He wants those people to know Him. And you may be the only person that has the path that can at least give the invitation. And it's really up to them to see whether or not that's what they really need right now. With that said, I'm going to end this message. We're going to move into the third part and then launch into Easter in two weeks. As we do that, 
What we've tried to do, if anything, is just magnify who Jesus is so that we can keep our eyes on him and follow him and trust him and begin to receive his love if we haven't and if we have, begin to give it out however he leads.